0: It's great to see everybody who's with us it's great privilege to worship and to sing together and to pray together and as I put my PowerPoint on the TV Tommy looked over me he goes that's not what Jesus looks like and I go well how do you know and he said I know what Jesus looks like and I said do I look like Jesus he goes "Uh uh-uh so he's right we're not this isn't a picture of Jesus and I like to tell stories at times to introduce our thoughts just because I like stories. So here's the story for our introduction. On April 21st in the year 1519, the Spanish conquistador Hernan Cortes sailed into the harbor of Veracruz, Mexico. He brought with him only about 600 men. Over the next two years, his vastly outnumbered forces were able to defeat Montezuma and all of the warriors of the Aztec empire making Cortes the conqueror of all Mexico. How was this incredible feat accomplished when two prior expeditions had failed to establish a colony on Mexican soil? Cortes knew that he and his men faced incredible odds. He knew that the road before them would be dangerous and difficult. He knew that his men would be tempted to abandon their quest and to return to Spain. As soon as Cortes and his men had come ashore and unloaded their provisions, he gave a simple yet profound order. Burn the ships. Cortes ordered their entire fleet of 11 ships to be destroyed. His men stood on the shore and watched as their only possibility of retreat burned and sank before them. From that point on, they knew there was no return there was no turning back. Nothing lay behind them but the empty ocean. Their only option was to go forward to conquer or to die. This is the mindset Christians must possess to be victorious in our spiritual battle with sin and Satan. In our spiritual walk with Christ, we must too, we too must burn the ships. For the child of God, the ships represent the possibility of retreating from our service to Christ in the church and returning to to live a life in the world to serve ourselves. These ships of retreat must be burned and destroyed. And the Apostle Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. To the Apostle Paul, his mindset was that there was no way he could go back to the old life he lived. He had destroyed the world. The world was destroyed to him, and he was destroyed to the world. The only option was to go forward. And that's exactly the attitude we need to have today. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 10 and 39, But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of God the soul we must go forward there is no turning back our sermon for just a little while is simply burn the ships breaking the cycle of sin now our lesson is going to come from the old testament but when i say breaking the cycle of sin this is something we all go through Uh, i got this picture and it's an overview of the cycle of sin that the children of israel faced in the book of judges Now, throughout the book of Judges, throughout the whole Old Testament, Israel went in this cycle. They would sin, they would suffer. And once they were done suffering or tired of suffering, they'd eventually cry out to God for help. They would offer their supplications. And at the end of the day, God would always extend his long-suffering, his grace and mercy, and he would send a deliverer. He would send a judge, one of them like Samson, He would always deliver his people. Now, this is the exact same thing you and I go through today spiritually. Unfortunately, we sin. And when we sin, we suffer. And when we suffer, we cry out to God. We ask for forgiveness. We ask him for help in our struggles. And God delivers us. Our whole goal for this study is to break this cycle. This isn't something we have to live in. You don't have to stay in sin. I don't have to stay in sin. We don't have to continue suffering. We could spend the rest of our lives in salvation. And in order for us to learn how to do so, how to break the cycle of sin, we're just going to give a brief overview of the history of the children of Israel and learn where they failed so that we can overcome. Now, really, we, the lessons we can learn from the children of Israel, they begin from the very moment they left Egypt. From the very moment they left Egypt, the Bible teaches... God never wanted them to ever go back. They were going to leave Egypt and they were to never go back to the world. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 17 and verse 16, you shall not return that way again. That's back to Egypt. And then the Bible says in Exodus chapter 13 and 17, then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God didn't want them to ever go back, and in fact, when they were leaving, God took them a very particular way. They were to go to the promised land as God promised, but they didn't go the quickest way. God knew if they go this way, there's the Philistines, It's going to be too early for them to face this. They're going to want to go back. At the first sign of adversity and opposition, they'll go back. So God knew we'll take them the longer way because this is when their faith will grow. It's the same thing with us. God will not put us in certain situations if we're not ready, but he's also going to put us in situations when we're not ready. It goes both ways. So, God is mindful of the faithfulness of his people. Well, unfortunately, what God was worried about happened. The Bible says in Numbers 11 and verse 5 the children of Israel, they're complaining, and they just love to complain. And this is what they say. Times got tough. They said, We remember the fish which we freely ate in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Now, I'll just say this real quick. I like cucumbers. I've never missed cucumbers. I've never missed them at all. They're great. I just never missed them like this. This goes to show how petty they were being. God was feeding them. He was taking care of them. And they go, we liked it better there. We missed the cucumbers. We missed the vegetables. Could you imagine that? In Numbers chapter 14 and verse 3, the Bible says this. They cried out, Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. So we can see from the very beginning of Israel's time in the wilderness, they didn't burn the ships. They always had in the back of their minds... If this just gets too tough, if this just gets too hard, I'm just going to quit, and I'll go back. A lot of Christians feel the same way. They don't say it, but they've got the world as plan B. And they teeter-totter. That's why. It's because they don't destroy, they don't burn the ships. It's still possible for them to return. This is not something we can have as Christians. We studied this verse last week. Well, once again, Jesus says in Luke 9 and 62, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We cannot live this Christian life looking backward. We can't miss our old ways. We can't miss our old sins. We just got to focus on Jesus and move forward. Something they did not do. Now, unfortunately, there are many Christians they do go back to the world. This is what the Bible says about those people. And Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 20, "For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and, over, and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning." For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. It is worse to start the Christian walk and to go back and to quit. God looks at this, it's like a dog who eats their own vomit. It's very disgusting. I've I've had dogs that have done that, and I just can't think, why you got to do that? It's disgusting when a Christian goes back to sin after they've learned righteousness and the love of God. Not only is it disgusting, it's disappointing. God likens this to, it's like when you wash your pig, if you've ever done that. And your pig's all clean, and then it gets dirty again. Well, you might be thinking, well, that's disappointing. Why'd you even clean it if it was just going to get dirty again? That's kind of how it is with Christians. Why get baptized if you don't plan on changing? There's no point at all in that. So we have all started, if I'm not mistaken, we've all started this race or this walk here, except for the little one. We can't go back. We can't turn back. We have to keep going forward or else it will be worse. Now, we've already seen the early signs of Israel's uh, apostasy. They wanted to go back, but this continued while they were in the wilderness. The Bible says this in Psalm 106 and verse 13. The children of Israel forgot his works very soon. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. Verses 19 and 20, They made a calf in Oreb and worshipped the molded image. Thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. What the psalmist is referring to is what happened in Exodus chapter 32. In Exodus chapter 32, not long after they were freed from Egyptian bondage, the children of Israel, Moses is on the mountain, he's receiving the, the tablets of stone in the law, and you have Aaron, his brother, the high priest, and you have a man named Hur, H-U-R. They're down there, and they decide, let's make a golden calf. One of the first ways or reasons why they left God is because they forgot. Forgetfulness leads to faithlessness. They forgot everything God had already done for them, and then they tried to serve other idols. Now you might be wondering, why did they make a golden calf? That's very random. Why a golden calf? Well, here's what one scholar says. The golden calf was copied from the Egyptian apis, but for all that, it was not the image of an Egyptian deity. It was no symbol of the generative or bearing power of nature, but an image of Jehovah, an image of God. For when it was finished, those who had made the image and handed it over to the people said, This is thy God, O Israel, who brought thee out of Egypt. This is the explanation adopted in Psalm 106, which we just read. In other words, the reason why they made a golden calf is because they worshipped calves in Egypt. They weren't worshipping the false gods of Egypt now they just said, all right, this golden calf, this is familiar to us. This is the God of Israel. And they broke the first two commands in the Ten Commandments. Not to make a a grave image and to worship another god. And you might be thinking, "How they they just got delivered, they just got freed, how'd they do this? Well, here's the lesson. It took but a few days to get Israel out of Egypt. But it took many years to get Egypt out of Israel. Bad habits die hard. They didn't go from zero to hero. They didn't understand everything and they weren't perfect right off the bat. That's encouraging to me. Because when someone obeys the gospel, they're not going to be on the same page as us. They're not going to be perfect. There is a growth process of weeding through This is bad. i got to stop doing that. This is good, and I can't bring things from my past to my present. That's what was their problem. They were trying to bring their old ways and make them God's ways. The Bible commands us in Romans 12 and 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may approve what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of god we know this you've heard this many times the word for transformed comes from metamorpho where we get the word metamorphosis so there is a spiritual transformation that christians all of us go through and we have to be patient when i study with someone who wants to obey the gospel i never tell them here's everything you're doing wrong That's given they're going to learn that as time goes on but I will say what's the most pressing issue if someone's a drug dealer I'm gonna tell them yeah you got to stop selling cocaine that's a given if someone's a murderer you got to stop killing people and the list goes on and on and on but we have to be patient with all these other things we're not gonna have a laundry list of you're doing all this wrong that's intimidating that's daunting. It's like, why even try? If I'm doing it this wrong, <coughs> why even begin? So we need to be patient with people in that regard. Well, we saw that there were problems when they exited Egypt, there were problems in the promised land. As we're about to see, they were wicked in the wilderness. Here's where this all connects, and it gets much worse and worse the further, much worse and worse the further we go. In the Bible, Numbers chapter 33 and verse 51, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, and demolish all their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it for I have given you the land to possess. So God told his people, look, once you join, once you cross this river, you got to kill them all. you got to destroy all these people. you got to get rid of all their false gods and graven images. And the reason behind this was God knew that if they kept it, it would influence them. They would be lured away and tempted to leave God. So he says, you got to get rid of this. you got to get rid of them. These false gods and their graven images. And then he even tells them, here's what's going to happen when you don't do that. If you don't obey me, here's what's going to happen. Verse 55, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides. And they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. So God tells them, you got to wipe everybody out. you got to remove their false religions. And if you don't, you're going to suffer. It's going to be a thorn in your side, a pain in the neck. Everything that I was going to do to them, I'm going to do to you guys. The reason or the way this connects to us is this. Those nations, those people, he wanted them to kick out and to kill. Those false gods, they were real people. They were real false gods. But it's symbolic of when Christians allow sin to remain in their lives, and they don't remove it. When you do not remove sin, it gets worse and worse. And only suffering follows. What we're about to see, they didn't listen. Go figure. They didn't listen again, and they fell to God. They fell to their sin. The Bible says in Joshua 17 and 13, And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. Judges 1 and 28, And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. It's very simple. They didn't do what God said. And they were going to suffer because of it. And here's the kicker. It's not that they could not drive them out. It's that they would not. They had the power and they had the ability. When they were at their strongest, they didn't do it. And really what the lesson is for us is that if you and I can't remove sin when we are our strongest, when are we going to do that? It's only going to get worse if we don't remove all sin from our lives. We're going to suffer because of it. More specifically, God teaches us the tribe of Judah, Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin, Asher, and I love this word, Naphtali. None of them completely removed these people. And that's why the false nations, the false gods, were a pain in their side throughout their history. I know I'm going quick. You can get it after. But quickly continuing, the lesson we learn is that tolerance leads to influence. We already read these verses, so we're not going to. But in Numbers 33, the Bible teaches us they were told drive out the inhabitants. Didn't do that. Cut down the false gods and the the high places. Didn't do that. Now, The most clear-cut influence of their sin, of their failure to obey God, was made manifest in the high places. The high places, what's that? Now all these false gods and pagan nations, what they would do is they'd say this, let's go up over to Forest Hill, up in the mountains, at the highest point. We're going to go to the edge of the cliff, and we're going to make an altar to our false god there. We'll sacrifice babies, We'll kill children. We'll have sex with everybody else's wives. And we'll do all that bad stuff. We will worship the sun, moon, and stars. That's everything they did on the high places. It's a high place because you go to a high place to worship. And that's what plagued the children of Israel throughout their entire history. In fact, here's what I mean. Solomon was the first king in Israel to entertain the high places. Solomon and his son Jeroboam, they let this go on. Then King Asa came along, he destroyed them. Then his son Jehoshaphat came along, he destroyed them. But then Jehoram, Jehoash, Amaziah, Azariah, and Ahaz, they all brought them back. Hezekiah destroyed them, Manasseh brought them back, and then Josiah, he destroyed them. But you get the point? Because they did not destroy them, immediately it affected them throughout their history it's much easier to remove sin before you're addicted and before we get addicted when we don't remove sin it's going to affect our kids it's going to affect our husbands and our wives it'll affect our families for generations like it affected the children of israel and their family. The Bible says, lastly, on this point, Psalm 78, verse 58, the children of Israel provoked God to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their carved images. When God heard this, he was furious and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent he had placed among men, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. They dishonored God, they forsook God, and because of that, God forsook them. And they went into captivity, just like God said would happen. Just like God said would happen. For the last three or five minutes of our study, we've seen how sin that was allowed to dwell among Israel affected them throughout their history. And as we look at this sin cycle we want to take away a few things and learn where they fell. Learn where they messed up. The first thing they messed up at is they chose to sin. Now I say that in a very specific way. Sin is a choice. It's not a condition. And you guys have heard me say this time and time again. I cannot stand. I cannot stand when Christians say, yeah, I sinned, I, I I'm a human. Well, Jesus was human. The fact of the matter is, is no one's making us sin. The problem is, is that we choose to sin. And if, if we were made sinners, then it's God's fault. Because the Bible says we are made in the image of God. So if, you're, if we're going to say we're humans and we're meant to do this, Basically, what we would have to follow is God is wicked. And we know that's not true. Now here's what John teaches us in 1 John 2 and 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The underlying phrase in this verse is is a waste of ink it's a waste of space in my bible if you can't help but sin why even tell people i write this so that you can avoid sinning if you couldn't avoid sinning the fact of the matter is, is sin is overcomeable. it's preventable but the problem is we choose to sin but praise be to god that if someone sins notice he doesn't say when If someone sins, we have Jesus. And we can pray. The first thing, and the first step in breaking this cycle of sin is to realize you don't have to sin. I don't have to sin. I can win this battle. We can win this battle. To supplement this point, Jesus, on two different occasions, he told people, go and sin no more. He said that to the man at the pool, Bethesda. And the woman caught in adultery. Very quickly, I want to say this. You know what the difference between a bully and someone who corrects you or gives you constructive criticism? A bully tells you to do something you can't do. That would be like if I went up to a blind man and said, open your eyes, look and see. That's a bully. I would be trying to get someone to do what they can't. Jesus here is not bullying anybody. He's teaching them, go and sin no more. You know why? Because you can avoid sin. And we can avoid sin. It's a choice. Okay. The problem is, is that sometimes we sin. Here's what the Bible says. 1 Peter two nineteen, For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, Verse 20, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your fault you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Peter very simply states this, We're going to suffer. Suffering is not fun. But not all suffering is the same. There's suffering because of God that's good that's okay but what's not okay is when you and I suffer because we did something wrong that's not okay when someone sins suffering's coming you you are, we are hurting ourselves and everyone closest to us we will suffer because of sin but it doesn't stop there there's some hope we can pray out to God we can give our supplications Philippians 4 and 6 be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God I'll just say this on this there's different kinds of prayers there's adoration there is adoring God there is I can't remember the C and the acronym that Jonathan gave there's T for thanksgiving and then there's S for supplication supplication is the please help me please help with this part of prayer and we can ask God to help us with our sins and with our temptations but finally God offers salvation after King David committed adultery and after he killed Uriah the Hittite he prayed this hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. That's a beautiful prayer. It's a hopeful prayer. You know what happens when we sin, after we suffer and after we cry? I don't know how it is with you. I can feel like I'm not saved anymore. I can lose my confidence and my reassurance because I know I'm not living right. And one of the most beautiful things David writes is he says, please restore to me the joys of my salvation. You remember what it was like when you got baptized? When I was baptized, I knew it was was a big deal. I knew it was for the forgiveness of my sins. I knew what it was for. I remember I literally, I prayed, this is at nighttime, right before I went to bed that night. I got a text message from Wade. And I have the text message, I don't have it up on the screen or anything, but just to paraphrase, he basically told me, you can finally go to sleep and not have a care in the world. Because the most important aspect of your life was just taken care of. And I remember thinking, this guy is sensitive. And I put it down and I go, "This, I don't, I don't even understand what he's saying. And I was like, whatever. And I just put the phone away. And afterwards, I remember thinking, the more time that's gone by, I've been able to appreciate what he said and what this says more. Because I realized that feeling goes away. That feeling goes away when we sin. But the beautiful part is that we can have it again. If we sin and if we ask for forgiveness, God will restore the joys of our salvation. We can break the cycle of sin. And we can do it together. The last verse we're going to read is this. How do we do this? We burn the ships we leave our sins, we remove our sins and we don't look back. Once again Philippians 3:13 and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We got to stop looking backward and we just got to move forward and focus on Jesus. Because no one else and nothing else matters but Him. Maybe you're here and your garments have gotten dirty again. Maybe you've been baptized, you've been washed clean. But we have allowed sin to come back in our life in some form of it or another. We can pray and give our supplication to God and He will restore to us the joys of our salvation. If you're one of this class, please come while we stand and sing the song of invitation.